the difficulties that we go through, the difficulties that uh, Don Bosco went through, then serve him to become a real father and to have an eye for the abandoned and to be able to relate with them and to be able to speak to them and to be able to love them in a way that really heals the wounds of abandonment. And that was one of the most powerful things that they talked about in, in Ecuador was that the Salesian congregation was created or is the gift to the church to help heal the wounds of abandonment. Welcome back, everybody, to Valdoco. I'm Vicky. I'm Amy. And I'm Father Steve. And we're here. Again. <laughs> This is kind of episode three of this new season. So go back and listen to the first episode where we explain kind of what's going on. And then the second episode was all the history of where Don Bosco, the context that he was born into and all that stuff and how he lived. So if you're interested, it's a probably a terrible... Or if you're not. I'm super nervous. I think it's we'll a great to, to listen to even if you're not interested in history because yeah. it really does help. It helps a little bit. Put some things into context. <laughs> I'm just not, I'm not confident. Okay, well, get you did my, a great job. I'm not confident about my historical. I'm pretty sure it's mostly him, accurate. Let's give him a mostly thumbs up accurate. in three. Ready, everybody? Three, two, one. Thanks. That was really good. Guys. I love that. <laughs> but the second episode, or this third episode. Third. Third mm-hmm. episode, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to go really after he was born and his early childhood period. So really basically until 1830. So kind of 1815 to 1830. Um about his childhood, growing up, um, some of the difficulties that he had, and then really focusing on three people uh, of his childhood that really made a difference. Um, but as we know, St. John Bosco was born in uh, 1815. What day? Ready? I'll say the month. You say the day. August 16th. Yeah, girl. Beautiful. Don't even have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> it's an open book test. Just so one thing I learned that I didn't learn that I didn't know before was okay. Saint John Bosco said he was born on August fifteenth, fifteenth, because he associated it with the Assumption uh-huh. of Mary. Yep, correct. She's the only one that assumed. Mm-hmm. But but he was really born. They have all the dates. They have all the like the records or whatever. But in Ecuador, they said that. Usually in those small towns, it would have been two days. The feast of the Assumption would have been two days. Because mm. people coming from different places or the vigil. So, okay, he wasn't born on the day, but he would have, his birthday would have been celebrated with the association of yeah. the Assumption. Yeah. And then, okay, obviously, St. John Bosco loved Mary and wanted everything to be associated with her. <laughs> so, so why not, like, lie a little? So, yeah, <laughs> so he's not, like, really. But back then, obviously, the dates and everything, people's, his memory, he was writing a lot of the stuff after many years. But, uh, but yeah, I thought that was interesting that the feast would have been two days. It's a small town. Um, so I thought that was, so it's not really the assumption, but that. it's kind of, it's in there. It's close. Good explanation. Good explanation, though. Can I tell a random story that you can edit out later if you want? Sure. Yesterday, I was talking with my grandmother, Awi, on the phone. And she was like, Victoria, did you know that I came over from Cuba on the feast day of San Lazaro? And she does make some dates. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, "Mm, interesting. But she didn't know. So when she knew the date that she, like, had come over from Cuba, which is, I think it's December 17th is the feast day. And, um... She had learned years later that like San Lazaro, she came on that day. So he's, but he's a huge like uh, patron of the people of Cuba mm. because of that. But I just had thought of St. John Bosco yesterday because I was like, is that true? <laughs> is that true? <laughs> you just want it to be true. <laughs> Anyways, not relevant, but. <laughs> but it is. It's because we want, we want to associate our lives with. Like beautiful things, beautiful, beautiful, things, beautiful things, no? saints. So, and so many of us do it in different ways, whether it be religious dates or other dates of like 
you want to it's yeah it's like I beautiful it's, and it's fun natural. And, yeah. yeah but it's hilarious i was like okay St. john bosco <laughs> <laughs> so we have yeah so we have st john bosco born august 16th 1815 in a small town of of becky uh, which is okay on the i don't know how many hours it is from turin it's a couple um, hours walking becky from turin yeah. i think it's only like an hour and 15 it's pretty close driving yeah. yeah, yeah, driving. So, <laughs> driving. Right. So back then, walking, it would have been, it would have been farther. Days. So he's, he's from a small town, Becky, um, by Castelnuovo, um, and then Chieri is a bigger city close by, and then we have the big city of Turin, which, if you listen to the history of, of last episode, Turin really was like a capital of the kingdom. It was a center of a lot of the political, um, the church, a lot of the things that were happening, a lot of the revolutions were coming out of Turin and the surrounding areas. So Turin was really a, an important city uh, back then. Um, but we have Don Bosco born kind of far removed from that uh, from that city. But then we have kind of his family. So his mom's name is... You want an answer? Yeah. Margarita. Margarita, no, Mama Margarita. And she, she, was, she was married to what's Don Bosco's dad's name? Hold on. I don't want to say the wrong name, Joseph. <laughs> no. No. Francisco. Francisco Francis. Bosco. Francisco Bosco, no? So you have Mama Margarita. She was married June 6th, uh, 1812 to Francisco, but Francisco was already married before. So he was married before, his wife died, and he had, uh, he had a son. No? He had, huh? Anthony. I don't want, no, I'm just you know, nervous. nervous. I'm saying huh? the wrong names. It's Anthony. <laughs> Say random names. Oldest. Richard. <laughs> yeah, Anthony. Um, so Anthony. Anthony was born February 2nd, 1808. So that's... Francis Bosco and his first wife, they had Anthony. Um, and then we have two kids with Margarita, which is Joseph, mm-hmm. who was born in 1813. And then John Bosco was born 1815. So we see there's the three kids there. Um, and then Francis Bosco, his mom is also there. Her name is Margaret, Margaret Zucca. Um, and so she's part of that house. So that, that's like their, St. John Bosco was born into this reality of Mama Margarita, Francis, Anthony, the kind of step, uh, stepbrother, and then we have Joseph, John Bosco, and the... Nonna. The nonna, the grandma, Margaret Zucca. And we have this, so we have this small, um, and John Bosco was born, and there was, this was the controversy, not that he was born in where they were tenant farmers, and so... Uh, the family wasn't like they weren't day laborers, but they also weren't free landowners. You know? so they're kind of in the middle. So they were tenant farmers. So they lived in what was like a tenant farm housing. So there was an owner, and then there was a family that lived there, and they they worked the they worked the fields. So they weren't like the poorest. Really, were like the day laborers. They were not guaranteed. But then those who actually owned their own fields were like the free landowners, and the Boscos were kind of in the middle. And Francis Bosco, John Bosco's dad, was working towards independence. So he was working towards, he was getting his land because he was getting paid. So he was looking to become an independent landowner to make a better place for his family. So that was kind of, that was where St. John Bosco was born, was in this Biglione house, which was near um, where he would have grown up. But um, yeah, the story is that we didn't know that, (laughs) right? So we thought he was born, like, because he has, we have this house that's still there and this legion's always thought that that was the house that St. John Bosco was born in, but it really wasn't. It was down the street where he was born, where the family worked. 
And then later on, because we didn't know that, we destroyed that house yeah. and we built the church and we yeah. built the, right on over it. Right on over it. <laughs> Probably how he would have wanted it. But they did yeah. a really good job of like trying to make up for it. Yeah. So now it's replicate like, it. Yeah. Like where his relic is, it's like where they assume he would have been born in the blueprint of the house that he was actually born in. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of so you see this this family um, that things were okay, um, but. I mean, the story that we all know, if you know something about St. John Bosco, was that his father died when he was two. So his father dies in 1817, um, but he had just bought another house, which was down the street, which is the house we know to be the Caseta, which is like the little house that St. John Bosco grew up in and where, uh, where Margaret, Mama Margaret was and took care of the family and all that kind of stuff. So he just bought this um, and then he passes away. And so now they're in, in big trouble because now she's, she's a widow. She's got three kids. She has her mother-in-law, and now they're in this place where, okay, they're still living in the tenant farming, but there's some problems there. And so eventually she slowly moves over, and they move into the little house uh, later on in 1817. And that's where she tries to take care of the family. And just reading some of the things about the poverty, because there was a really bad drought in, in those first years in 1816 to 1818. There was a really bad drought, a famine. So things were already like struggling normally in that area. And then, okay, now she lost her husband. And it said that at that time she had, what was her, it appears this is written in uh, Lenti's book, Arthur Lenti, who write, wrote volumes of, of St. John Bosco's life. It said it appears that at the stable, at the little house where they moved, they only had a cow and a calf. And Margaret's, Mama Margaret's debts, amounted to the value of all of Francis's animals. So all of St. John Bosco's dad's animals and then also various claims were also lodged against Margaret. So like she had, okay, not a lot of money, also debts. You have the famine and you have this thing going on. And then we know the story about how she looked at, so they prayed, they looked at each other and they say that desperate times call for desperate measures and they end up killing the calf so that they can eat. So now all they have there is one cow and a calf and she has to kill the cow, the calf so that she can... Amy's looking at me. Did you not know that story? <laughs> it's a traumatizing story. <laughs> but they're so... You know, normally they wouldn't do that if that was... But because of all the debts, because of the things going on, right? Okay, she has to take this d desperate uh, measure and that's basically half of like their, their value there. Um, so just looking at the situation that he was brought up in, um, how hard it was for Mama Margaret um, between, okay, the work, the kids but also the famine and the drought that's going on in, in, in that part of Italy at that time was, uh, was difficult, you know? And so that's how John Bosco lived. He says his earliest memory is of, of the death of his father. Um, and then he starts to really, when he writes about his memoirs, he really writes about the person of, of Mama Margaret. Um, and it's really beautiful. We went through really a deep dive of her, who she was, what she did, and really amazing. Just to list off some of the... I was going through the information and like the PowerPoints and all the articles that we wrote, uh, that we read about Mama Margaret. And it was just like going through and explaining like the wisdom that she had um, just from her life and what she was giving to, to Don Bosco, her relationships with people, like her ability to relate with, okay, Anthony, her stepson, the mom, the people in the village. She had a beautiful way of being firm, of being gentle, of, of having these friendships and these relationships, how hard she had to work figure she's she's on her own so she's also helping in the house but she's also in the fields she's also working so sacrifice hard work 
um, her really her love of, of poverty. So she knew it as as a value, not not something that so even if she would have made a lot of money, she saw how it was to live a simple life. Like that's how she wanted to live. She wanted to live simply. She wanted to live um, not in desolation, but in with this real poverty that is a, a reliance on God and the simplicity of life. Um, that like this temperance of things, obedience, her optimism, humor. Multiple times, Don Bosco said, "My mother laughing, or my mother who was always of good humor, or my mom like speaking about his mother, how she was joyful and optimistic." Her her real um, emphasis on education and how she wanted to educate her sons, because as a widow, she was 29, so she wasn't that old, and she was getting offers from other people to get married. And that's usually what would have happened. She would have gone and got married, and then her sons would have been given to some sort of guardian for education or whatever. And she said, I forget what it was, but something like not all the gold in the world wouldn't let me give up my sons. Like, I don't want to, I'm going to be the one, I'm going to take care of them, I'm going to educate them. So her real love for education, her reliance on divine, uh, divine providence, and especially on the Blessed Mother, and then uh, the way that she accompanied um, St. John Bosco to go to his first communion, to first confession, the way she taught the prayers, like she prayed and Don Bosco learned. Um, so just the way that she was right side by side with St. John Bosco along the way and her other sons, um, how she taught the prayers, how she taught the faith, how she lived the faith. So going through all of this, it was really amazing to then, because we have our constitutions and in, in our constitutions it says St. John Bosco was beautiful blend of nature and grace. He was deeply human, rich in the qualities of his people, open to the realities of this earth. And then it talked about how he was also a man of God, having these both, this nature and grace. But then it was just amazing to see how much he got from his mom. Like so much of who St. John Bosco is, is because of his mother and how she, how much he had to sacrifice. Um, and this is just in the childhood. We'll go later when they move to the oratory and, the, and Mama Margarita goes to the oratory and lives the, the rest of her life with the with the orphans and with the kids in the oratory but even just in the in the beginning how how much she had to sacrifice how much she had to teach how much she gave witness and how much saint john bosco learned from her was for me really really eye-opening because um, i guess i hear a lot of the stories but i didn't get the really chance to spend time and like pray with the person of, of mama margarita and how much yeah how much she influenced and how much she gave by her witness um, and just by her teaching, um, it was really, yeah, so just, just seeing, Don Bosco says, there is no oratory without my mom, right? There, there would be no oratory, there would be no Salesians without, without uh, Mama Margarita. And down in Ecuador, they really emphasize that she's co-founder. Like really, there would not have been, if she didn't go, I guess we can never say it would never have happened, but Without Mama Margaret, there's there's no oratory. That's Don Bosco's words, but also just a real emphasis on her her love and her presence in the oratory was not only necessary but really essential. Um, and that's something that we try to take now that we know we need um, that like motherly, feminine um, kind of figure in our oratories is something precious. Um, so for me, that was a, a beautiful example of Saint John Bosco's early childhood and how much. Um, she had to do. So I don't know if you have any anything to say on, on Mama Margaret. Any questions? Anything, Amy? Um, just from listening, I ever since I heard about like St. John Bosco's childhood, I just appreciated that he had kind of like almost in our mindset like a non-traditional family structure. So I think 
a lot of times today, family structures look very different, but it's nice to hear that like he had these different dynamics that he had this brother from his dad that came from a previous marriage and, and kind of the interactions of them because that speaks to a lot of the realities that we have today. And so to hear about someone engaging in these interactions and how it impacted their life and how they chose to respond and, and live in that way that's not always neat and tidy and can sometimes be messy. And I'm saying that like just based off of St. John Bosco's experience with it, that it can be a little messy as he got older. But to be able to know like we have an example of someone who lived this way and it wasn't perfect and living in this structure, living in this poverty and to see all that. So it's very encouraging to to hear about a saint having that kind of upbringing. And then also just to hear about like this beautiful example, we always want to see like more beautiful examples of womanhood and parenthood in the church and to see Mama Margarita like living it out for us um, for how to infuse the faith into everything and really to truly be like the first evangelizer in the family to be like the mother or father. Um, so to just have like all these beautiful examples of the family and that St. John Bosco had such an emphasis on like, this is my family. And so I'm infusing this into like my mission, my work, it's all together. Like this is what God's given me and it's not separated. Beautiful. Yeah. And really she gave that example over and over again to St. John Bosco, the, the way of, her way of combining everything together, family, work, um, Christian values, everything. Um, you have something to add? No. Oh. I was going to say, it reminds me of Vicky. <laughs> uh. Vicky does a beautiful job with that. And, and again, it's encouraging to know like, like that's because like she has a Salesian heart. Like that's why it happens. Why you chill over there? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, I think it's beautiful that like it all prepared her, like that the beginning of her like life as a mother, like really prepared, like prepared her for like what God would then offer her like later on through like the life of her son. So then opening like the oratory, like what did that all teach her? And I think even like that's a really good thing to bring up of like, okay, yeah, like the non-traditional like family structure um, or like what we think of a traditional family structure, like how much that would have been like helpful for the boys to maybe then hear like, okay, I don't know, maybe that was something that like brought shame or whatever to to the young men um, or to the boys that he was serving. And like that would have been a point to to relate. And then also just... He had a good mom, like a good mom that was like really willing to like sacrifice herself from the very beginning. And like, I don't know, just like make things work. Like yeah. she had to figure out, okay, like how to feed all of these people. And like for a long time, okay, Anthony was still young. Like if he was born in 1808, right? That's when An he was born. Anthony? Anthony, 1808, yeah. 1808. And then Don Bosco born in 1815. 1815. So That's, he's years. only seven years old. So it's not like he can really go out and like pull the weight of like being the man of the family or two years later when he's nine years old, when his father dies, um, you know, and okay, maybe their, their grandmother was a little bit younger than what our grandmothers look like now, <laughs> but you know, I don't know. It just such an, a different, um, like perspective that I think continues to like humanize like the Boscos, like why they, why it works, why he's continued to touch people like throughout time because he, I don't know, God gave him a story that, a lot of people could relate to. Yeah. And no, no, saints come from a story. Saints mm -hmm. come from a family. So the way that he was raised, the way that the experiences that he had, and we'll go into, cause like the next person. So mama, Margar mama, mama Margarita was like profoundly deepened. Can you say profoundly deepened? Is that like the sure. same thing? 
Go for it. <laughs> you, <laughs> you said just it. Did. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> but there was always a love for Mama Margaret, and then there was it was just deepened. You know, this this love for her and her witness and her sacrifice and everything that she did, and and for me to see her as a co-founder really changes the way I look at the Salesians, the way I look at the oratory, the way I look at my vocation and how I'm supposed to live it. So for me, it was deepened there. But on the other kind of other side, the person of Anthony, his older brother. He was really, he's always painted as like the bully, the bad guy. And he was redeemed. When I was down in Ecuador, we had a, we had a whole, like, they did this project where we had two, there was two sides. One condemned Anthony as a bully. And the other was like trying to redeem that he was just a man of his time. And he was trying to do, so there was like a courtroom and we each had a Whoa. side. And we had to put together all our defenses for each side, what side were and you on? i was on redeeming anthony <laughs> yeah i bet you were yeah. <laughs> yeah, you up your alley. and i was so yeah so happy did you win yeah we won <laughs> we redeemed rigged it's rigged <laughs> important questions so okay recognizing a lot of times we think of him as really a lot older but he was seven years older mm -hmm. you know seven years older so when damasco was like coming of age 10 12 years old anthony's a teenager you know and so like the first thing that was really redeeming was to pray with the person of Anthony and recognize that, so his, his dad died, so his mom died first, okay, when he was three, and now his dad dies at 1817, so he's nine, right? Mm -hmm. Seven, yeah, nine. So he's an orf he's really an orphan, and to have that trauma, three years old, Don Bosco remembers when he was two, so, okay, let's say Anthony still has, has that recollection, or he knows that he's growing up with somebody who's not really his mom. Mm-hmm. No matter how nice you are, like it's still a reality still that's not, your, not mom. your mom. And the fact that his dad dies at nine, um, when he was nine. So you have, we did a lot on this theme of a feeling of, of abandonment. Mm -hmm. Like we really did a, a lot of study and talking and reflecting on, on abandoned, what it means. Because Don Bosco was poor and abandoned. Um, and so what does it mean to be abandoned and all these things. And so to see Anthony in that light of somebody who is really like struggling and, and as a young person, to be orphaned, to, to lose your mom and dad, and then to go through the hardships of poverty. Um, so to see him from that light gave me a lot more compassion for him with his struggle of, with St. John Bosco. Also recognizing by St. John Bosco's, like by his own account, he was very stubborn and like confrontational and these kind of things. And then to recognize, okay, Anthony wasn't against school, right? Because he himself... He taught him, like, he, he learned how to read and write, okay? So they have uh, contracts from him where he actually signed compared to his brother Joseph, who just signed with an X. Mm. So Joseph didn't learn to read and write, but Anthony did read and write. So he wasn't against schooling. He wasn't against education, but he was, a he was against Don Bosco going to school all year or reading in the field or doing not these working. things. Not working. <laughs> yeah. Because... Look, I mean, look at the situation. His, he lost his mom and dad. Like, he knows the hardship of, of poverty. He knows that if without hard work, like, we're not going to be able to work. The, we're farmers. If we don't work the field, we're not going to get money. We're not going to have food. We're not going to be able to survive. And death is, at that time, death is so close. So, for me, it put him in a new light that, okay, yes, maybe he was too strong at times or maybe he was a bully at times. Um, but a lot of it came from, I want to protect my family. I want to live. I want to have my own family. And then also coming from this place of whatever he was going through, okay, you can say psychologically or emotionally, or as a young person who, who lost mom and dad and, and everything that, uh, like a life of poverty brings. So, but then also 17, 
yeah, like seven, 17 years yeah, old like yeah. that's you know and i can think of the 17 year olds that we work with and like that's hard they have their personality and they have their like what's right and what's wrong and what they believe and like what's what matters to them what they want to like you know whatever maybe not really die but what they want to like die for yeah you know and that's hard and then i think also he would have been old enough to understand like the reality of the tenant farmer so he would have understood like they could lose everything yeah. and like they have to work and like this is better than what they had before but they have to work yeah. to keep it so it's yeah that's awesome and they're also coming from a time if you go back to the history right this 1815 to 1830s when he's this is the restoration of trying to go back to the old way and so the priest was really high class you know, so it wasn't for farmers. Mm. It, wa it wasn't part of the reality that these tenant farmers or these day laborers would go and be priests because they, okay, they couldn't afford the education. And we know how hard it was for Don, John Bosco to find money. Mama Margarita couldn't pay. And so how hard he had to work to be educated. So it's not, it's not a reality. So to think of it as, I don't know, for me to think of it not as like being a bully or being against Don Bosco or being against education, but just a man of reality, a man of the farm, a man of the earth, of saying, this is, this is our life. So it's, it's better that you accept your life <laughs> and work hard and help the family rather than wasting it in books and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so for me, it was really, he was really redeemed. Um, and then also, okay, you also need a little bit of confrontation if it probably helped Don Bosco. <laughs> no, in the end, like, okay, it helps Don Bosco in the end because he's, He's forced to really, if you want it, you need to go get it and mm -hmm. you need to work hard mm -hmm. and you need to be creative. And so because he had to work so hard and because not everything was given to him and he had to fight, he learned so many trades, right? And that's something we'll go in the next episode when he goes to Kiri and he goes and he has to like learn bartending and tailoring and he's working on the farm and how, how many things he had to learn. So to get money and to stay uh, like to survive. And then how that was then, okay, in the oratory, he was able to teach and he was able to help young people with everything that he learned. So I don't know. There's so many things that we take in our life that are hard and difficult. We don't want to go through them. But, okay, I don't know if I can say 100% of the time, but I would say 100% of the time they're there to help us. Now they're there to make us stronger, to help us learn, to get us out of our comfort zone. Something good comes out of it. So, yeah. So for me, Anthony Anthony's not such a not such a bully in my in my eyes anymore. He's not such a like this mean mean guy but just a man reality trying to survive trying to live his life and trying to deal with the circumstances that he was dealt and mm -hmm. it really wasn't easy circumstances um so that's so mama margarita like deepened anthony redeemed you have anything that, to say on anthony like later on the relationship was redeemed and so it is interesting that we like continue to paint anthony like in a Okay, like a negative way when like later on, like he supported St. John Bosco and like supported the family. Like all of it was for something like you were saying, right, that it all comes back and that they really had this like they had a good relationship like as they got older. So is it is it really just like, I don't know, this like dramatized like thing that happened that really was just like any sibling relationship. But then you put it in the setting of 1817 or 18, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, as they're growing up, 1820. Um, yeah, like it just, you know, perspective helps a little bit, I think, with that situation. But yeah. it is super cool that I that it's part of the curriculum there to, like, redeem Anthony because, yeah. like, it's it, it was important. Thank God he did that. Like, really, what would have happened if he hadn't? Um, so, 
Yeah, I think for me, like, it's always been glossed over that, like, oh, they kind of had, like, this antagonistic relationship. And I never really heard it go into much deeper than that. And honestly, I didn't even know that St. John Bosco had said that he didn't always act the best way towards him. So I think it's nice to see, like, a fuller picture and to understand a fuller picture because it is just so easy to write off a situation just like we would write off people in our lives so just to be like oh well this is this antagonistic relationship that he had and you know he overcame it but to really look at the full picture of how we respond to things you know and ultimately where it leads you um I don't know if this is how the class was structured or you're just doing it chronologically but I love that the second person that you're talking about is Anthony (laughs) because if you were to tell me like okay like first episode where we're talking about people in St. John Bosco's life, who do we talk about? Go. It's like, okay, Mama Margarita, maybe Father Capasso. But like, who would ever be like, you know who my number two pick is? <laughs> Anthony. <laughs> but like you said, like the importance that that has overall to, to like the mission, either from what Vicky's saying of like the support or from what you're saying um, about like how it taught him so much that he was then ultimately going to use in the mission. Like how... Every figure, whether they're big or small in the story that we tell, like the actual like large importance that they play in this mission that God gives all of us. Yeah. So I, I love that he's number two. <laughs> so, yeah, so he's number two. But then because of this hardship, right, because at a certain point they can't live together. So Anthony really, it's enough. Like he can't even look at St. John Bosco anymore because he's, you know, he wants to study. And Mama Margarita, Mama Margarita wants him to study. But he also, she also wants to maintain the family. So she can't just, she understands that Anthony's the oldest, the head, he's, he's working, um, he wants to protect the family or whatever. So she has to kind of cater to him, but then trying to find ways to, to give uh, John Bosco an education. So he in, ends up going to Don Lacqua. He's a priest in uh, Caprilio, I think. Yeah. And so 1824, 1825, 1826, he's, he's working there or he's, he's going to school there trying in the winter months. Um, but then it gets so bad and she knows. So he, that's when he gets sent away. We know the story of when he goes to the Mogulio farm you know, and he's basically on his own. Um, and so that's a period that he doesn't write about. And there's, re- there's some people who say there's different reasons why he doesn't write about it in his memoirs, um, either to protect uh, his mom or because he gets the dates wrong and he doesn't really... You know, he just no room in there. Um, but yeah, he gets sent away and he lives basically a year, two years on his own um, with his other family. And for him, they have like a two different like accounts, like not two different accounts, but one that it's not that bad of a life because he has a home, he has food, he gets a little bit of money. Um, he's able to read on his own. He's able to study. He's able to do all those kind of things. The family takes really good care of him. Um, but on the other hand, he's away from his family. You know, he, he probably doesn't have contact with his family. Um they don't really know if Mama Margarita went to go visit him. Obviously, people went to check on him. She probably knew, found ways to like figure out how he was doing. But uh, but there's still this feeling of being isolated, being away from your family. Um, I'm sure there was lonely, lonely nights and difficult times. Um, but he perseveres. He ends up coming back. And then the third person that we'll talk about on this episode is... Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> Father Capasso? Yeah, Calasso. Calasso. Not Capasso. Sorry. I was like, why are you saying yes? I said she was Real right. spoiler I alert. Said, I thought she said Calasso. I thought she said Calasso, not Calasso. Calasso. Sorry, I've never yeah. been to Turin. I'm just, I'm really trying to keep up right now. <laughs> I had to do a presentation at a meeting and I mixed them in front of a whole room of STBs. I said, and Father Capasso was the one that, and I was like, 
And they're going, and I was like, Colasso. <laughs> and then I mixed the brother's name after. Horrible. Right. Anyways, delete. So this is this is Colasso, Father Colasso. Um, and again, really didn't know anything about him. I thought he was just like a, this nice old priest, <laughs> uh, which he was. But like his story was also very inspi- inspiring for me um, in this in perseverance, because so Father Colasso he was seventy years old when he goes to this small little town, but I didn't know that when he was a priest. Um, and I think I forget the other town that he was in, but he was a parish priest, and he was like accused of going against the French administration. So they were really persecuting him and and these things. And then uh, I think of the of the Jacobites or another kind of sect. They were saying that he was like immoral. They were they were claiming that he had did like abominations and like he was a very immoral priest and all of these things. So he was basically like his reputation was destroyed. He was, he left there and ended up going, I think he had a brother and he spent some time just as like an assistant, kind of quiet life. Um, and we have a letter later on saying that no, like it was all false accusations. He was of outstanding moral character, like wow. all of these things. But he was basically then at 70 years old sent to this no name place um, at the end of his life. And for me, it was like really inspiring because, because he didn't give up. No, he didn't like stop his life he didn't blame anybody he didn't he was he was still had his eyes open and was still living the faith and was still a prayerful man and he was only alive so he don bosco met him in 1830 no in 1829 and he died in 1830 so the very last year of his life he meets saint john bosco and he influences saint john bosco to the point where saint john bosco says that this was the moment that he felt like he first had a spiritual director this was the first time that he felt like he had a friend of the soul like really awakened in St. John Bosco, uh-huh. this love for the spiritual life. And this was the last year of Don Colasso's life. I didn't know it was only one year. Yeah. So he, he, he goes, he meets him in 1829. And the reason he met him, okay, again, with the history, the church was, uh, the church uh, named like a Jubilee year and they were sending out missionaries. So they would have these different like mission sites where preachers would come and they would preach. And that's the story. So Don Colasso was there, Don Bosco was there listening to the preacher that was in the town and then that's the story. Don Colasso asks Don Bosco, like, what were you doing there? And then they have this, they strike up this friendship. Um, and then Don Bosco ends up going to live with Don Colasso and study there and to help him out and those kind of things. So it was, for me, really beautiful to see this man who probably was broken. Like, what is my priesthood for? Mm. I, my reputation is, like, whatever. I'm now sent to this small little parish mm. on the outskirts of in like nobody knows what am i going to do here and yet because he continued to live the faith because he can just continue to live how he was supposed to live he influences saint john bosco at a young age and now he's he's written in the memoirs as one of the most influential people in don bosco's life you know what i mean so for me it was inspiring because it's okay never give up you never know how god is going to use you no matter how how your life goes if you get up every day and you you you're a prayerful person and you look to see What's in front of you, look for relationships, look to love people, look to interact with people, look to, to really live the faith. You have no idea who you're going to. So Don Colasso, okay, not a saint, not a rec- like recognized saint, didn't do anything grand in his life, blah, 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 blah. But he's written about as an influential person for this saint that has then transformed in many ways much of the world. No? Mm-hmm. So your influence, maybe you're not called. So maybe I'm not called. I'm sure I'm not called to be a founder, <laughs> to be like somebody who's going to do all of these things like St. John Bosco did. But who knows 
if I live my faith well, if I live my priesthood well, what kind of influence I could have on somebody who then will go on and do something beautiful for... So for me, it was really beautiful to see just like the perseverance of, of Don Colasso and what he was able to do at the end of his life. Um, when he could have left the priesthood, he could have given up completely, he could have whatever, uh, because there was a lot of bad things that happened to him. So for me, that was, again, um, yeah, just a beautiful person in St. John Bosco's life that I didn't know much about. Yeah, so amazing. That's fine. <laughs> so then these three people, no? Mama Margaret, Anthony, and Father Colasso, kind of, for me, I had to choose. And for me, those are the ones that I chose to kind of take Don Bosco's life of 1815 when he was born, all the hardship, the poverty they went to, the struggle to be educated, the struggles in the family. And then for me, we, this, uh, this idea of abandonment, that we really see St. John Bosco, okay, he lost his dad at two, really kind of feeling abandoned a little bit by the family because he was sent away, the struggle with Anthony, like the struggle there. And then the death of Don Colasso was really a moment, like he felt like he lost a father again. Yeah. And so you have St. John Bosco really going through uh, a lot of these feelings of abandonment, this reality of abandonment, um, and which is then becomes essential because then he becomes the father for, for the abandoned. And so the difficulties that we go through, the difficulties that uh, Don Bosco went through, then serve him to become a real father and to have an eye for the abandoned and to be able to relate with them and to be able to speak to them and to be able to love them in a way that really heals um, heals the wounds of abandonment. And that was one of the most powerful things that they talked about in, in Ecuador was that the Salesian congregation is was created or is the gift to the church to help heal the wounds of abandonment. Wow. And for me, that was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard it in a way that's so like real like that, I guess. Um, we always talk about working for the poor. We always walk, talk about working for the young. But for Don Bosco, it was really the abandoned. It wasn't so much poverty because Don Bosco lived in poverty. He knew that it could also be like Mama Margarita knew that it could be a good thing, mm -hmm. that it's a simple life, that we know that we rely on, uh, on God. So it's not so much the poverty, but Don Bosco was really looking for those who were in the prison, who were abandoned, who had no families, the orphans. So it was really much more about the abandoned than it was just like poverty. Most of the time, those who are abandoned are also poor. But for me, it opened up a new, new way of thinking and a new like trying to see where, where we are in the United States and who are, who are we sent to as Salesians. If we are sent to the abandoned, what does that mean in the United States? in the 21st century. Um, so it, was, it brought up a lot of questions, a lot of reflection of like where, where we fit. And then we see even Damasco at a young age, even when he was 10 years old, gathering people around, having like a little oratory, helping the kids. Because also I think he felt like he needed people too, no? Like if you have these feelings of abandonment, then okay, you're gonna wanna gather. And he was a natural leader. He had a lot of, a lot of natural gifts. And so recognizing that he yeah, started already this oratory, this feeling of, of gathering people, of making people feel welcomed, of living this oratory reality even before he was a priest. You know, even at a young age, it kind of came naturally to him. So all of these things were really, for me, beautiful and something for me to pray about. And I think for us as a congregation, as a Salesian family, to pray about and see like where we really fit and what we're supposed to be doing here in the United States and Canada. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, 1815 to 1830 through my eyes. Thanks, Father Steve. That was great. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for letting us listen. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. No, it's really, I think it's super eye-opening because it, it, it helps to continue to set the foundation of like, of like where we'll go next with St. John Bosco. And then also just, it helps explain and it starts connecting, like connecting the dots of like why we 
are who we are now and like where we are now and then but also like when you get to the part of like when this begins like why um and i think that's just the coolest part of being able to like we have this like beautiful privilege of time of being able to like look back at saint john bosco's life and people did such a beautiful job of um like caring enough about the family to like put it together so that we could learn from these different people and um not only see i think the way that like saint john bosco was impacted but also like we need every person you need every person in the Salesian family you need every person in the life in your life i think to help you get to like where you're meant to go and then also just how that like influences like the people we're serving so then as ministers here like as people that work with young people and you know create programming and resources and formation and whatever whatever contact and relationships that we have that like in our own life like our experiences matter enough to then influence so that we can then help continue like this i don't know insanity but that it i don't know it all and it just drives home like it all matters like really people matters and people matter and like relationships really matter in our life and um they're all going to be flawed and difficult and in some way shape or form but that they're important to our history um as individuals but also to the things that we're a part of um so it's beautiful just to hear three more i agree it gives us more people to kind of resonate with in our life to see how we fit in different moments of our time mm-hmm. are we more like a mama margarita are we more like an anthony are we more like a father colosso or a saint john bosco or you know all these different people in his lives and none of them are perfect he's not perfect none of them mm-hmm. are perfect but to see more aspects of how we fit in the legion family and to know that you know, we're not the only ones that feel this way or that bring this gift to the table, um, to bring the gift of challenging, to bring the gift of support, to bring the gift of being the peacemaker, um, that, you know, there are these other people in this story of the Salesian family that have done this before. And so to be encouraged in seeing yourself in those different places, and then also to see like the true spectrum of the Salesian mission in Mm -hmm. terms of like the abandoned. So, Mm -hmm. You know, of course, like that calls us to look at things more literally, like who are the people that we're neglecting, um, like personally, that as a Salesian mission, like we need to be reaching out to. And then looking at that also, like not in the most literal sense, but then who are the people who are abandoned, like right in front of us? Who are the people who are abandoned, like in our classes or Um, you know, so like the literal sense of maybe we're not paying as much attention to people in prison. But then also, like, am I not paying attention to people in my school because they're not, quote unquote, poor? Um, so, like, really to have that that new way of looking at who we actually should be reaching out to as Salesian family. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean, like, so personally. So, like, it's not just this lofty idea of, like, the Salesian mission, but, like, the Salesian mission that each of us is living out individually every single day of our lives mm-hmm. because we are members of the Salesian family, even if we're not in a Salesian school at the moment, in a Salesian parish at the moment, in a Salesian office, but like when I go home, like still continuing the Salesian mission. Amen. Beautiful. So thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We'll finish in prayer and then I'm praying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Just thank you, Lord, for the gift of of St. John Bosco, but also his many family and friends and the people that helped him in his life. 
we ask you for the grace that we need to recognize those people in our life give us the grace to really accept the help and to to really do hard things and to recognize that you are there in every moment you're there in everything um, you're there every step along the way and everything that happens you bring good out of so we thank you for that uh, we bless you we ask you to bless this legion family bless all of us uh, bless those who listen here and uh, that we may continue in this mission of St. John Bosco and of the church to really to give a home to those who are abandoned, to, uh, to really go out to the margins and to go out to different places and, and recognize that uh, everybody's welcome here, so to really give them a home. Give us the grace to do that and to feel at home ourselves. Uh, we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Mary, help the Christians. Pray for us. St. John Bosco. Pray for us. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Thursday. See you Thanks, next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. God bless. Bye.